0: back welcome to tell us from the page where we get to interview the paizo creatives about the very fun things that they have been talking about and announcing here at paizocon online 2021 i'm jefferson j Thacker, also known as param i'm joined by
1: and i am lauren sig also known as the dova queen
0: and from paizo we've got logan bonner logan Hi, I'm Logan Bonner, also known
2: as the Pathfinder lead designer, and no cooler names.
0: You've, well, I mean, with Logan as a name, you don't need a cooler name.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: <laughs> so, Secrets of Magic. We were already incredibly hyped for this book, and then you all just start dropping art bombs on us and cool things like class archetypes and cool and like reworking how the magus works and then you like threw it down this crowd pleasers with variable uh, magic items this book has a lot of expectations on it what was the goals going into what might be the most scrutinized book past the core
2: Uh, the weird thing is like, I think my set of goals was perhaps more ambitious than the expectations a lot of folks have for it, (laughs) because the thing I really wanted to make was, uh, was like an eternal book, the kind of thing that has so much cool, uh, detail and imagination in it that you keep it on your shelf for years, uh, One of my kind of frustrations when I look back at some of the first edition stuff I worked on is a lot of them, it's like, if I'm not playing right now, there's not any reason to pick this book up and look at it. I wanted a book that wasn't going to feel that way, that was just going to be like, I'm so glad I have this forever. Um, So my main thing was making something that is going to be a book to read, not just something that you go on Archives of Nethys and pick the feats and archetypes you want, but that you actually want to have the book in front of you and you know flip through its pages.
1: Does that like something... Guys, th- oh. I feel like you guys really accomplished too, making a book that almost any player, any GM is going to be able to pick up and use for their character or their game. Even, even Joe the Fighter can look through the magic items and start looking at some new strategies that maybe they didn't have from just the core rule book
2: yeah for sure yeah and we definitely wanted tools that everybody could use without getting like without going the route of there are tools everybody can use because there are fighter feats in the book right uh mm some stuff that's more universal was a big goal
0: and and then because magic isn't just casters like this is a fantasy game magic is important to every character going right yeah well we
2: also knew we had guns and gears coming up that is like I don't care about magic i want to shoot things right so uh it's kind of a nice one-two punch of of the the far sides of the uh, of the range
1: well speaking of guns and gears we have to ask we would be remiss if we didn't (laughs) how easy is it gonna be to build a gun magus
2: uh i think pretty easy Uh, i think you uh i think if you take the ranged option i don't think there's much more work to do to have a gun magus at least with a, a magus uses guns doing a gunslinger with a magus archetype i think is a little more challenging just the way the stuff is set up but pretty easy We kind of we knew we were doing this... the gunslinger so so we didn't want to exclude them when we were working on the magus so I, i'm sure when mike was doing his pass he was like let me make sure that i can use a pistol with this
0: Yeah, you don't want to make a class that is just immediately disappointing when the next book comes out. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that you wanted this to be a book that you get to read and enjoy. And I think was a lot of that uh, made possible because you were, uh, unlike, say, its predecessor, Ultimate Magic, you actually get to tie in to to Galarian and the setting material?
2: Yeah, that certainly helped. Um, I think a lot of kind of the the core principles of Magic hadn't been touched on all that much. So we had a fair amount of, of latitude with what we could cover in this. Um, and that's kind of one of the goals of how we put setting stuff into the rulebook line versus the Lost Omens line, where the Lost Omens line is looking uh, primarily at like the people, the places, the specifics of the setting. And then the rulebook line is trying to talk more to like the the broad basis of it so if you put the two together you really get the full picture
0: you showed up uh some like illuminated text and some mm-hmm. weird uh, uh occult like and alchemical like drawings and diagrams and you mentioned that there's going to be sections of this that are like treatises what were some of these inspirations here i mean were you just rating eric mona's occult bookshelves <laughs>
2: Uh, we weren't rating Eric exactly. I do think there was some amount of, um, influence from when we did occult adventures in first edition, because there was a lot of like looking into that occult literature and stuff at that time. Uh, so I think some of that kind of stuck around and like, okay, what if we put some more of this directly on the page rather than kind of just using it for the, the rules inspiration and not going quite as deep into the feel of it. Um, so yeah, the kind of the the feel of looking into stuff that's kind of a bit beyond kind of normal human understanding was a major influence on it. And then we kind of tweak that through different lenses. So like we wanted to make sure that the divine part read differently from the occult part and uh, and there was really a lot of variety. So you could really get yourself in the headspace of those different types of characters as you read the book.
0: And it's funny that you meant mentioned occult magic because that did that book was really special for Pathfinder and, and really one of, the, one of the books I love because it took what was expected of psychic magic and uh, away from some of the um, the his, the inspiration and trappings and some of the baggage from the previous editions of games that inspired Pathfinder, um, you know what I'm saying, it's not the, the, the mind psionics weren't uh, as prevalent there. Is Secrets of Magic going to be doing anything similar to make Magic and Pathfinder its own thing instead of an also-ran?
2: I think there's some of that in just the structure we already had going in, because we had the traditions and the essences, uh, both of which are, are kind of more particular to uh, to second edition Pathfinder. Uh, so there's there's a little more established here, so we didn't really like fully reinvent the wheel. Um, but we definitely drew some inspirations from different angles to try to get that uh, get kind of the variety of magic a little more in mind for the reader and hopefully and speaking
1: that Speaking of, and speaking of different angles i mean look at the smorgasbord that you have here you've got shadow magic you've got the thessalonian magic now you've got cathartic magic you say blood magic was in the works so we know that's somewhere around there are there any themes of magic, any concepts, any movies where magic was present, where you didn't feel like you were able to bring some of that inspiration in? Uh,
2: That's a good question. So, yeah, the starting phase of this book, uh, or an early phase after we kind of had the main principles of it, was to kind of say, okay, how has magic been presented uh, throughout fiction, throughout games, Uh, and what are the touchstones that we want to make sure we include. I think the main thing that is just kind of tough to do, especially on the player side, is the just really weird metaphorical side of stuff. We got in what we could, um, but especially like a lot of those like, strange 70s and 80s movies where just kind of weird stuff is happening and it's not entirely clear its uh, its origin. I think that's the main thing that like doesn't ro- really work very well with a little more regimented system like we have. Um, the closest stuff we have to that is like pervasive magic and some of the ley line and true name stuff that's a little more um, purely story-based. Uh, but that's kind of the toughest uh, ground to tread
1: something that i'm finding really interesting about this book one of my favorite books from 3.5 was tome of magic and it looks like hmm. you've taken the spirit of that and made your own thing with it and also improved on what was a hilariously overpowered book
2: (laughs) hopefully this one won't be hilariously overpowered uh we'll see Mm uh yeah i I, honestly i haven't looked at Tomo magic since i worked at wizards i don't think so uh did you work on that book itself uh (laughs) no i i started i think right after it had come out or like a year after it had come out something like that um Mm -hmm. but i i definitely looked at it but i i don't remember what was in it anymore
1: i played a shadow mancer and i betrayed the party and i won in the last boss fight it was too strong.
2: <laughs> Who could have predicted the Shadow Mancer?
0: You <laughs> didn't even have to say Shadow Mancer. She could have been <laughs> Cleric of Iomedae, and I'd still expect Lauren to betray the party at the end. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> now, uh, the, the, uh, I believe we're talking about the different types of magic that this book's, the, the books of infinite magic. Is that the correct? Uh, of that, or am I getting magic. that wrong? the books of unlimited magic that's a big promise how do how can you give us some examples of how like mechanically this might like adopting one of these alternate magic styles would change a familiar uh, uh, spellcaster type
2: okay uh, so i think a, a a really easy example to understand is elementalism uh mm-hmm. so say i make an elementalist druid i can take the elementalist archetype and just have an elemental spell list instead of the primal spell list and i get some extra benefits from doing that and i can take an order that goes along with that but i have kind of redefined myself specifically as an elementalist and uh and everything i do is about the elements um Another a good example would be, uh, you know, if you're playing a geomancer, you really start to care about what types of terrain you're in, and you know, you you're gonna you can fight differently uh, by the river than you do in the mountains, or than you do in the Arctic. Uh, and you can, uh, you know, if I'm themed with the sands of the desert, I can cast an earth spell to uh, get the energy of the desert to where I am and then feed off that. Uh, so there are like, and a lot of these are kind of working at that character concept level, which I think is, uh, one of the goals of that section is to kind of say, you know, we're, uh, we're not going to do, uh, a geomancer class, but here's a way that a geomancer can work in the game and really kind of go with some really high concept ideas. Uh, so it goes from like the high concept there all the way to like an individual spell choice, Uh, or an individual item choice that are really narrow and specific so there's a really good breadth of options in here
0: this sounds like something that really is only possible because of some of the modularity of uh, fifth uh, of um, uh, uh, pathfinder uh, two characters
2: yeah especially kind of the reimagining of archetypes gave us a lot more flexibility Uh, there are a lot of these in first edition like if you want to do an elemental as well you're going to need the druid elementalist and the wizard elementalist and the oracle elementalist uh and we can just do that a lot more easily and a lot apply it more broadly and it's really really satisfying to be able to do that Mm -hmm. um one
0: of the things that threw me off uh, one thing that threw me off there was uh, a comment in chat lock uh lock finn is asking elemental spell list is this a fifth tradition uh it's not
2: really its own tradition. Like we're not defining it as such. Um, it is similar in that you're using a specific spell list, um, but mm-hmm. it kind of it doesn't kind of go with that same broadness uh, and understanding throughout the world. It's kind of more of a, a niche um, practice. Uh, but we didn't want to and... present um, we didn't want to present magic as monolithic because it's it's magic that doesn't uh, you know wizards can understand magic a certain way, but a cleric might not understand it the same way and a a druid won't understand it the same way so we didn't really want to say you know that the orthodoxy was 100 percent correct in every measure because that doesn't really (laughs) comport with the world as it's presented and it you know is kind of restricting in a way that magic shouldn't feel restricted
0: and last question on the (laughs) elements
1: one of my favorite is that is that you've kind of taken so many different character concepts that used to be very difficult to make work and you're now making them work again one the most obvious one is say the magus a gish is always fun everybody loves a magus but previous to magus gish was a little tougher you had to like take a marshal and you had to combine it with an archetype that may or may not have been what you wanted but i want to ask you about one a concept that's typically even harder to do than a gish it's not rare that in games or in media a character will maybe inherit or find a weapon or a suit of armor that kind of grows with them as a character is that kind of what you're doing with soul forged items
2: um that's one of the options they're kind of covering a couple different pieces of ground because there's there's the kind of inherited version and then there's more the uh you know you have been chosen as a, a representative of, you know, a, a mystical force or an organization or whatever it is, uh, to 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 bear this uh, this armor or this weapon uh, to to do good works. Um, so it's kind of covering a few of those. The main thing is that, you know, your soul and your um, uh, your righteousness are tied to this item, and. Uh, and that's kind of the the main thing there is that you're linked to it in some way, and that has so many different permutations over fiction that we didn't want to you know define it too narrowly, but it can work with that kind of uh, that legacy option pretty easily.
1: Now, one of the things you'd mentioned is that there's an archetype that accompanies it, but does it have to accompany it? Can these be disantiguous?
2: um i believe uh this is where am I? I i don't remember the exact details i believe this one uh you do need to have the archetype um you could kind of follow some of these principles if you wanted a little more kind of story based less uh rules heavy version of it uh but i think by default uh you need to take the archetype it is not a class yeah. archetype it's a, a, a standard second level uh, archetype, uh, that requires you to cast divine spells or have a uh, wisdom of 14. So kind of similar to, uh, kind
0: of like the requirements for being like a champion. Now, speaking of archetypes, one of the, uh, class archetypes, well, a new type of archetype you all, you just talked about, which is an archetype you take right away, uh, instead of waiting for second level. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the flexible spell casting class archetype. And then chat exploded. Like, everybody was wanting to know, (laughs) can you give us an example of what this is and what kind of trade-off a wizard or a cleric would be making when they uh, opt into this? Uh, So
2: the trade-off you're making is not as many spells per day. So instead of going to three spells per day from two, you stay at two. Uh, So that's going to be the main uh, reduction you're taking. Uh, and you don't get as many cantrips either. And then the advantage is that you can whatever you prepare, you can cast as many times as you want. So you have a spell collection instead of uh, a repertoire. So it's kind of a, a curated, uh, effectively a repertoire, um, but you get to mix it up more often.
0: So that's the opt in. You mentioned this is an archetype. Are there like as the character grows, does more options tie into this? Uh,
2: this one's pretty straightforward. This one is you take the you get this first level kind of class feature modification on your spell casting, and then you take the mm-hmm. dedication. This is also an archetype that you uh, you are done with with one feat, so you don't have to okay. kind of pay the feats to finish the archetype off like you do with most archetypes.
1: Uh, okay, we didn't so do that like very a, often, but this if, is
2: one case where where it made sense. Okay,
0: so like something it, else uh, I saw I, in the
1: chat a lot. <laughs> so. Uh, we want to know: uh, Are there any plans to bring back the Black Blade, or to have it somewhere in the book?
2: Uh, I don't believe so. I don't, I don't think that made made it into this book.
1: It'd be easy. It'd be easy to flavor at home, though. You, we can easily, you know, make a Black Blade. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are there any? Uh, so, are there any other class archetypes in this book, or is it just that one? Uh, there's
2: quite a few. The Flexible Preparation, the Elementalist, um, oh, I, so I believe most the, of the Thassalonian is this... Rune Mage. So about half to two-thirds of them are class archetypes. <laughs> Sorry, Peradir, so you're, of you're, of you're never going to be able to talk times. on your own.
0: Right. Don't so do yeah, the lag between speak. Kentucky and Seattle is, is, is the reason that this is <laughs> happening. Um, so uh, one of the things, so that's true for like most of the alternate magic types. You're going to have like this alt in with the class archetype. Uh,
2: most of the unlimited magic stuff, or mm-hmm. maybe more like 50% have something like that. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, it's whatever implementation made the most sense for what we needed to do. So there are a few kind of standard archetypes uh there's quite a few class archetypes and then there's some that are more like you take a skill feat to be able to uh, uh tap ley lines that sort of thing
1: now so i need a little back- bit of i need a little <laughs> bit of convincing to play a summoner if we're being real when we already have animal companions as strong as they are can you kind of sell me on the eidolon versus the animal companion Giant pink well, yeah. dragon, Lauren. What is wrong with giant no. pink dragon? <laughs> Nothing's wrong with it. I just, I know I'm not the only one thinking it.
2: <laughs> well, we also have we also have giant angry guy. We have giant uh, rune-headed construct. We have not that giant uh, brimmerac. We've got uh, not that giant uh, psychopomp and uh, uh, kind of fairy creature. Uh, we've got angel. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just looking through the uh, the examples here. Uh, we've got a cool uh, like panther beast, uh, that's all ghostly and green, uh, for a god caller Uh, so I think the main thing is if you're playing uh, an animal companion class, you want to be a cool person who has a, a pet who's a friend. Uh, if you're playing a summoner, you really want to be driving that idol on a lot of the time, you want to be. Uh, you want that to be a huge part of your character. Uh, and, you know, if you have an animal companion, in some scenes you're going to forget you have an animal companion, but if you're playing a summer, you're never going to forget that you've got an idol Eidolon. Um, and nobody else is either, because you're going to have like a glowing symbol on you or something like that. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't want to try to sell you on it if that is not what you want to do with your character. Uh, but for the people who really want to make that creature a big part of their role playing uh, and a big part of their combat and their character building that's who it's for
1: I really want a giant crab monster I think that'll fit well. (laughs) You can have a giant crab monster.
0: Oh yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. that's that's a big beast. You mentioned the God collar so ab like the giant talking animal is absolutely gonna happen.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the types is beast. So, you know, maybe if you're from a a coastal village, you have that giant crab, uh, or if you're, uh, from, uh, uh, if you're you know a god caller from more of a, uh, uh, jungler savanna area, you you might have that,
0: um, that kind of more leopardy tigery creature. Mm -hmm. So how much of the, um, when you're playing a summoner, how much of what your 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 effective combat options are are the summon? Like, how much are you really playing the summon as opposed to the summoner?
2: Quite a bit. So the the main thing is that you have acts together so the two of you can do something. Um, and a lot of times, uh, your eidolon is going to have some special ability. So a lot of times, you're going to be kind of trading off, but kind of both of you doing something at once. So for example, you might cast a spell while your Eidolon bites somebody. And on that round, you know, it's mostly you with some cool stuff your Eidolon's doing. On another round, uh, the example we use in the book is, you know, if you've got a dragon Eidolon, it might blow its breath weapon while you uh, you know drink a potion or make a strike or something like that. So it's uh, it's pretty varied and it's gonna vary from round to round, but it's gonna be like roughly 50-50 or you can kind of build to say like I don't care about me. I want my you know I want my angel to do all the fighting, uh, and I'm just going to stand back here. You can also kind of play it that way.
0: So like like the uh, the playtest document, you have a shared action pool as opposed to some of the other companion uh, options where you're just giving an action to let your car- your your animal act. Uh,
2: I believe that's right.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how uh, now? How is the uh, the spell casting for the summoner uh, working here? Uh, how much spell caster is a summoner now? Um, it's
2: pretty similar to the playtest. You're getting, uh, you know, you're kind of losing the low tier spells and keeping just the higher ones. Uh, so you're going to have two spells of your highest level and two spells of the next level down. And then you know a lot of focus spells. Uh, you're still going to get your cantrips and that kind of stuff. Um, so your number of spell slots is going to remain fairly small, uh, just like any other mm-hmm. caster. You know you can use a staff, uh, you can use wands and scrolls and kind of supplement your collection. Uh, but it is still like pretty limited on the total number of spell slots you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and are they uh, the the uh, summoner spell list? Is this like what kind of spells is a summoner going to be casting? Is it a lot of uh, monster buffing, or are are they going to be able to sideline wizard?
2: Uh, Yeah, your focus spells are mostly going to be ones that focus on your eidolon uh, that that boost your eidolon, uh, give it you know buffs, special abilities, Uh, and then depending on your eidolon, you know. If you've got the Dragon Eidolon and have the Arcane list, that's going to play a lot different than if you have the Angel Eidolon and you have the Divine list. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of variety, and it's really thematically tied to your Eidolon pretty strongly.
1: So we have all of these different kinds of ways we can cast spells now, all of these different different schools of thought about magic. Can you kind of highlight some of the different ways that they'll actually play out in-game?
2: uh sure so let me let me go with one that's like really uh broad and weird and that's pervasive magic so pervasive magic if you decide to use that in your world or in a region you're kind of saying like everything here is magical so you might have you know if you're using a troll it might be an occult troll and have a spell it can cast even though it's mostly just a troll it also can cast uh you know Ray of Enfeeblement, or Grim Tendrils, or something like that. Um, you're traveling through magical terrain that's, you know, making your spells stronger, or that has an ongoing spell effect that never goes away. Uh, so that's kind of like the the broadest one in here is kind of operating at the full campaign level. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like my my like you really want to go hog wild with magic. That's the option for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do the, uh, the new classes get to play with the new toys as well? Do they get to have some fun with these new magic options? Is there a, a, a Geomancer Summoner?
2: Uh, so um, as we mentioned in the panel, like some of them are limited out. So like the phase of Magic doesn't really work because you don't have the full complement of spells. Uh, but a lot of these uh, archetypes are going to work just fine for these classes. So if you want to do a Geomancer uh summoner or Magus, they can just take the geomancer feat it's a normal archetype um they just need to be trained in nature and be able to cast a spell that has one of the right traits so you need an air cold earth fire plant or water trait to to go with the terrain uh that you're casting in uh, so a lot of these options are pretty broad basically all of them are as broad as we could reasonably make them uh there are ones that are more restrictive like the thassalonian uh, mage, just because there's a specific story uh that's being told there that we wanted to honor and, and
0: keep consistent mm-hmm. of the core branches uh you know like rackets and such uh what does the summoner get on their branches and what are the initial options for when i can make a, different types of summoners i can make straight up uh
2: their main their main one is just their eidolon because their eidolon defines so much about them uh, so, there's your Eidolon and then your, your spell choice uh, uh, are kind of the main things that you're choosing. Um, the link spells, I don't recall if you... I think you just start with one, so you can kind of expand on that with feats. Uh, but for your kind of starting mm-hmm. options, the, the Eidolon is just such a big raft of stuff. There's not a whole lot in addition to that.
0: Mm-hmm. And except, I, I, except
2: for picking spells which is always a big deal I, I feel like gets lost in the conversation a lot but it's like that is a big number of decisions so anytime you're playing a yeah. spellcaster there's like all this stuff in the class and then also
0: eight more things uh, any metamorphosis love uh, I don't remember <laughs> no worries so let's switch, switch gears over to the magus because I know Lauren loves maguses
1: I do. Okay. I do love Magus. It fills a hole in so, my heart.
0: What kind of <laughs> options? You mentioned there's a ranged Magus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so the, we- uh,
2: the Starlet Span Magus can, can cast a spell and chuck it in an arrow or a, a
0: bullet. So uh, let's go to the magus. so when we with the playtest magus, uh, you know the ranged magus was cool, and then there was the movie round super super mobile magus. Um, when we're looking at, th- and then there was like the magus but uses a two handed sword. Uh, how has that changed with the with the final version of the magus? It looks like it had a lot of uh, of development compared to say the summoner. Yeah, um,
2: most of those uh, those styles are still kind of in there in concept. A lot of them have kind of uh, changed around the specifics. Um, but, for example, the uh, you have this Arcane Cascade stance now, which is going to give you a damage mm-hmm. buff, and a lot of these builds kind of talk to that um, instead of going through things a different way. So, like, the two-handed Magus, uh, when you go into Arcane Cascade stance, uh, and at the start of each turn as you stay in that stance, you get temporary hit points each time and that's that is a stance so you're going to be in that for most of the combat so you can kind of uh turn that on and uh as long as you have a two-handed weapon in hand you're gonna get health back uh so the the stance kind of opened us up to more options the um the shield uh build also uses it uh the um the Kind of one hand weapon, kind of more roguish one, uh, now gets a, a speed boost and deals extra damage against flat footed creatures, uh, because it's it's a themed a little more kind of shadow magic y now, so those are kind of mm-hmm. those make a good combination. Uh, and then their focus spell lets them teleport and attack, uh, and also get their oh. their oh. Uh, spell strike back. This oh, reminds I'm me of an old character I that. used to
1: play. <laughs> how well would it work to have a magus that maybe just holds one knife and primarily casts illusion spells or are we really kind of needing to bake in these damage spells uh
2: so illusion spells that's one of the trickier categories because how few of them are uh offensive uh so to do that you uh, the arc- arcane cascade would work fine because kind of like spell strikes or spell weapon it's based on the school the thing you cast so you'll get extra mental damage with your, your knife stabs. Um, (laughs) the real tricky part is the kind of spell strike and how important that is to you because there are just not that many illusion spells that work well with it. Um, so you'd either want to, uh, do some damage spells and some illusions, or you would want to, uh, kind of focus on the more damaging shadow spells. There's quite a few damaging illusion spells in this book. Um, so you'd really want to dig through those to, to find ones that fit that play style. Uh, Because that is one of the trickier builds just because of how illusion spells tend to work.
0: With the shadow spells uh, being a a thing in this book and first love, love that idea. I've always loved shadow magic and this seems to be the first time I get to play with it really fun. Um, Is there going to be a a shadow cantrip that uh, a could lean on?
2: Uh, I don't remember. I don't think there's a cantrip.
0: Okay. So, but speaking of the Megas leaning on things they seem to play with the action economy a lot more than most of the other classes get to
2: um yeah they there's quite a bit of that um from the playtest, with all the feedback of it kind of feeling too restrictive uh we put a lot Mm -hmm. of effort into making it so that turns could play out a whole bunch of different ways uh to make it kind of more exciting uh the same way it's a little more similar to you know how a fighter might play or a monk um, and a little less like a typical spellcaster.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is the, uh, you, you kind of mentioned this during the, the interview, uh, it's not the interview, but the, the panel. You've changed Spellstrike. It uses two actions. You get to do the cool thing. It's only one attack now, so you don't feel like you have twice the chance to miss. Great decision there. I love that change. Uh, but you have to recharge it? Right.
2: Yeah, you have to recharge it, um, and that's mostly, um, if you look at something like the Ultra Charger, they have a three-action, make a ranged attack, and put a spell on it, because it's very hard to make that a reasonable uh, ability while having it only take as many actions as you know a two-action spell. So that's the way that archetype goes about it. With the Magus, we knew that was going to be too restrictive, uh, and that's a lot of the feedback we got. So instead, it's going to cost you a net of three actions, but there are a lot of ways you can dice it up to make it um, to make it more fun and to make it less of a burden without also just making it way too strong and just kind of saying like eh, other spellcasters don't get to do anything compared to what the magus can do. Uh, it's a pretty fine line to walk. So uh, we, I think, we found a, a nice uh, solution for that.
1: Does arranged magus overwrite? eldritch archer or do they kind of work really well together uh
2: you know i haven't actually looked at the uh combination of the two in a while um i think you're if you're playing a ranged magus you probably don't want eldritch archer it's got some special shots that you can use um, but i think they're it's not going to be super useful for you whereas if you're a normal spellcaster who's not a Magus. And then Elder Charger might be a better bet for you than the depending on what type of character you want to build. Um, and I don't think you can currently with the uh, multi-class archetype, I don't think you can get a ranged option, partially because we knew Elder Charger already existed and kind of filled that uh, that spot.
0: That does bring up some of the unique challenges that the Magus has from a design perspective where Pathfinder second edition was kind of designed, uh, and, and really executed well on being able to merge classes together, right from the get go and, and them working really synergistic. The Magus seems to be really the first class that is a hybrid built, pre and, and, and put together. How does it play with other classes, uh, both, it being added on to and it picking up like what does a magus fighter look like compared to a fighter magus um so the fighter the fighter magus i'm trying to think Mm -hmm.
2: of what uh, a magus with the fighter archetype looks like um it's probably not super useful just because we know there's already enough of fighter in magus that you, you probably aren't going to get a lot of value out of it. Whereas the fighter with the magus archetype is going to get a little bit of, of spell action is really going to feel like a magus for like one turn in a fight basically. And is also going to have cantrips, right? Which is going to color how you play the game all the time. Um, so I think in that case, the fighter magus is going to feel more like, uh, you know, a, a fighter with one toe in magus, um whereas the magus with the fighter archetype is probably there might be a few things you get and you might want some of those feats but it's probably not going to be quite worth it Mm -hmm. um but you know we we like to have some differentiation in character building like that so there's
0: you know uh, Mm -hmm. you
2: can kind of look at your different options and pick the best strategy
0: Mm -hmm. so Let's uh, shift topic over to magic items because you all had some fun ones. Uh, grimoires, uh, you mentioned grimoires. Could go into what those are and who would want to pick up one.
2: Okay, uh, so grimoires you're going to pick up. They're they're a cool item for a prepared caster. Uh, uh, like they're they're more kind of wizard themed or a themed than uh, than most. Uh, Uh, prepared casters but certainly like a cleric might have you know a a necromancy grimoire or uh, something like that so essentially each of them is uh, each of the ones in this book anyway um, for the amount of space we had to go into them uh, they're all kind of uh, specific to one school of magic uh, with one exception of the endless grimoire Uh, so each of them is going to let you kind of do an extra special thing with a necromancy spell uh, once per day or do an extra special thing with a polymorph spell once per day. Um, so they're kind of geared toward different types of casters. Uh, but they're a pretty fun tool to pick up, and I'm hoping we expand on them in the future so more types of characters are going to get into them. Uh, but they're, they're kind of a fun way to say, like, OK, this morning, I am, uh, of course, as every day, preparing spells from my instructions for everlasting agony. Or I'm preparing spells for my, uh, my spellbook of redundant enchantment to make sure that my enchantment spells uh, work uh, and, and I don't whiff with them. So they're kind of a cool character building detail in kind of theming yourself uh, and you're kind of, you know, what does your spellbook look like is already kind of a cool uh, question, especially for like a wizard. And this gives you some options to kind of say like, oh, yes, this is obviously the one I want to pick up because it fits with my character style. So, did you all Uh,
1: begin writing Everlasting Agony right around the time of February 2020? Because I'm starting to feel like maybe you did.
2: uh, I kind of feel like, at least in the world of Pathfinder, Agony is eternal. So, (laughs) there's always going to be some agony out there. Uh,
0: So, do we're getting a lot of questions in chat about, is there anything that the spontaneous spell casters get to play with, with the grimoires or something like them?
2: Uh, no, because they're made for prepared casters. There's a, uh, there's a lot of like, uh, there, there's mm-hmm. some stuff that's very broad and then there's some stuff that's narrow cast. And this is one of those things as like, this is really just for, uh, for the prepared casters. Whereas like uh, the build your own staves section in here, the, uh is gonna be great for spontaneous casters. Uh mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's it's kind of um not everything is for everybody in the book. Uh mm-hmm. there's a lot of very broadly useful stuff, but we also want to make sure there's some things that's like this feels really special for this for a prepared caster. Just like Wellspring magic feels really special
0: for a sorcerer or an oracle. I'll go into Wellspring because that is a cool name. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh yeah, so Wellspring Magic, you take the Wellspring Mage class archetype. Uh you're a uh, a spontaneous caster, uh cl- so it has a prerequisite you have to cast spells from a spell repertoire. And uh you get fewer spells per day, but you can um get additional spells in play uh when a Wellspring Surge happens. So, uh when you roll initiative, uh or there's also kind of a provision for you're in a high stress situation that that is not necessarily a combat encounter, and the GM says like, you know, this is this is time something big is happening here. You need to roll. Uh, there's a flat check to see if you get a spell slot back, uh, or and kind of like how that roll goes is going to determine the level of the spell slot. Uh, so it's kind of this is very much the like I want an unpredictable, uh, you know, kind of very bizarre but powerful magic within me and that's the uh the type of character i want to play this is really going to play into that and it's just going to be like maybe i get an amazing spell slot or maybe i'm uh really you know off this day and magic is not being kind to me uh, And then you have the wellspring surges um that can have like very random effects so this is like this is another one that's like this is for a very specific type of player who wants to play a very specific type of character
1: how often are Wellspring surges going to come up in a game?
2: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, let me let me do some very quick research uh, to answer that question, uh, because it, it kind of depends on uh, how you so you've got a DC six flat check when you roll initiative or, or one of these moments happens. Uh, so you're going to get a surge on a failure automatically. If you uh, critically succeed, you're going to get a temporary spell slot, but also you need to use it. And if you don't use it after <laughs> one minute, you're going to get a wellspring surge uh, because you know you you tried to hold in that powerful magic. What were you thinking? Uh, and it's, it's just gonna come out of you.
0: Oh this is just got so much fun just bl- just slathered all over it. I love it. <laughs> so So, speaking of fun slathered oh oh, go for it
1: i think you're gonna ask what i'm gonna ask go for it my man
2: i think i think one of of you said speaking of fun and one of you said speaking of slathered i'm not sure
0: (laughs) i was gonna say speaking of fun slathered all over it at the very end you mentioned summon kaiju being a new type of summon now first summon kaiju automatically crowd pleaser i'd buy this book just for summon kaiju but you mentioned (laughs) It's a new type of summon, um, an incarnate summon?
2: Yeah, so yeah, summon kaiju is one of the incarnate spells. Uh, we had one that we put in a playtest blog for, uh, I don't, I don't. the name changed a few times, but it was something like, uh, you know, Vengeful Dead. Uh, so that's kind of the undead themed one. There's also a Draconic Legion where you summon a bunch of dragons to attack somebody. These are all the, uh, I, I like Avi's, uh, uh, phrase for it of it being a mic drop because it is kind of like the guest verse on a rap song right where it's just like oh uh well next is going to show up and blow some people away or you know an avatar of ergotho is going to come and, and kick somebody's butt um they're are kind of these these brief spells where someone just shows up explodes walks over explodes again uh, the effects are going to depend on, on uh, the specific spell, but it's kind of this big kind of punctuation in a fight uh, that I think mm-hmm. is, is going to be really cool to play out at the table. Uh, so like the kaiju, for example, uh, if you summon Mogaru, the final king, uh, he appears with this, this burst of song that summons him uh, and makes <laughs> uh, creatures make a will save or be stunned. Uh, and then one turn after that, he walks over and does his volcanic fire breath and blasts the crap out of a bunch of people. So it's, uh, I think those are going to be really cool to, to kind of see the action. It's almost now, like you're summoning
1: gonna... a sequence of events. Yeah. Which is so cool. Are
0: are these only going to be for the the top level, 10th level spells or or, are these going to, are there versions of these that show up uh, lower? I mean, we're going to just have like a a bunch of iguanas.
2: Um, (laughs) We didn't, we didn't want to go quite that low with a bunch of iguanas, uh, but there are some that are um, not as high level. I'm trying to remember what the lowest level is. Um, I think that is probably, uh, I don't know. I think it's like seven or eight.
0: Uh, maybe six is the lowest level. So, uh, this is a good time to point out that we are taking questions from chat uh, throughout this. We've only got a few more minutes left, about six minutes left in the interview. Um, and then Coming on up, we are going to have the Starfinder Adventure Path panel. I believe that is the next one. Yes, Uh, the Starfinder Horizons of the Vast AP, Junkers Delight, and Digital Adventures, which is going to have Leo, uh, Jason, Jenny, and Inara in it. And that is going to be a fun one, um, especially with all the hype that has uh, appeared since uh, Horizons of the Vast was announced because uh, nobody can say Kingmaker in space without everybody wanting to know exactly what's going on there. I mean, that was the uh, the day Starfinder was announced. Everybody's like, so when did we get Kingmaker in space? Because Kingmaker's awesome, and exploration in the stars is well-established. Um, after that, of course, we're going to have Ryan and Lauren talking with Jason Keeley about those adventures, and then we'll wrap the day up with Secrets of the Pact World uh, with John C., Jake T., and Kate Baker and after that, of course, will be the Glass Cannon Podcast Dinner at the Lion Lodge. And I hope I stalled for enough time for some cool questions to come into the chat.
1: I've been seeing a lot of questions about the Ring of Wizardry and how well is that going to work with the Magus? Are we going to see something similar for some of the other spell lists?
2: Uh, boy, that is very specific. Uh, <laughs> uh...
0: I think the second uh, you put a I limit on a character, that. they want to get around it. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, how do yes. I get more spells?" Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, there's, there's most of the things like apart from just your base spell slots, we kind of expect you'll be using all the normal stuff. Uh, and for some of these classes, like if you really want to be casting a lot of spells, there are certainly ways to be casting a lot of spells. Uh, so, uh, magus in particular might be spending, you know. Uh, Getting their weapon up and getting a bunch of extra spells, but maybe getting their AC to, uh, it's only here. I can't quite get it to be really, really good. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of expect most of that's going to be, uh, you know, so a the, bit of a trade off.
0: That actually does bring me into a question I was wondering if this book was going to have an answer for, because right up until this point, uh, a lot of the meta for like pure spell casters in Pathfinder is their multi-classing between multiple spell casters in order to get more spell slots, more spells per day, more cantrips, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, is there an answer in this book for, you know, I just want to be a druid that casts more druid spells without having to also be a cleric? Um
2: no not really. Um just kind of more spells. Like everything in here kind of needs kind of a story that it's telling. Um and mm-hmm. that is kind of the story that a druid does. Um so yeah, we don't really have like a a more spells archetype.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh so where can people find out more about the Secrets of Magic and the other wonderful work that you are doing, Logan?
2: uh secrets of magic you know keep your eyes peeled on paizo.com uh we'll be revealing some more stuff over time uh if they want to see my thoughts which are sometimes about work but mostly uh retweets of other people's uh jokes uh i'm on uh, twitter at at logan bonner uh so uh you can uh follow me there i'm also on instagram (laughs) at logan bonner rpg but i barely ever post on it
0: so when we're going to get our hands on this lovely book uh, this is coming out in August.
2: Mm-hmm. So this would normally be our Gen Con release, and this year it is our August release.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And one last thing. When, what is the, your favorite part of the book that you haven't had a chance to to absolutely gush about uh, so far?
2: Uh, oh, boy. I've had a chance to gush about so much of it. Uh, I think... Um, my favorite remaining part uh, is—it's—it's uh, got to be in the spells, just because there are so many of them. I'm gonna say uh, my favorite remaining part is we got some more uh, chromatic and prismatic spells. I always kind of like just the the theme mm-hmm. of those and the look of those, uh, and there are a few more in here, including uh, prismatic armor, uh, mm-hmm. which I, which which we've got a nice illustration of. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, some last questions from chat. We've got uh, Shatroyu asking, did the Megas feet raise a tome survive to the final version? And if so, how has it changed? I know that was a favorite. Uh,
2: yeah, it was a favorite that didn't quite work with uh, some of the mechanics. Uh, so it now works with the mechanics. It's still a level one feat. Um, gives you an AC bonus. Uh, and now that there's a shield-based build, you can use... Your tome for that build uh, and uh, uh, its abilities work well with that. Uh, I also I know we had had ideas about kind of expanding out with more feats. I don't remember if those made the cut or if we ran out of space. Uh, but, oh, if it uh, we works, we took a close look at it.
0: If it works with the shield build, does the shield build get to like make their book a shield and like throw shield enchantments on it?
2: Uh, I mean the the raza tome feat's going to let you use your book as a shield there yeah there is a there's a six level feat to uh, make your tome shield better uh it makes it uh uh, it lets you fuse a magic shield into your book so you can make the book have all the traits of that shield
1: god that gives Uh, me so, so many ideas (laughs)
0: As a collector, I want to be able to just magically protect my books that good. (laughs) All right, we are are running out of time. So uh, thank you so much, Logan. If you want to see uh, some more about uh, Secrets of Magic, make sure you check out the Pazo site. And until we meet again for another interview, this was No Direction, stay tuned for the Starfinder Adventure Path panel coming up right next.